the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. This is Selwyn Whitehead. I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney, and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you in the past, in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, and my life's observation, as well as my lifelong interest in business and money and finance, as well as the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. Because believe it or not, bankruptcy law is all about helping individuals and families and small businesses reclaim their economic viability and go on to the next phase in life. It's not all depressing. Sometimes the happiest people you ever meet are people who have been able to go through the bankruptcy process and come out the other side holding on to assets with a fresh start. So in addition to my bankruptcy practice, I also practice the related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt, wealth management, estates and trust, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I have spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat and also helped create another one with my former spouse, who was also in the military and retired from it, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And uh, I was raised by a dad who believed that not only he 
should give back to the community, but also I had to give back to the community and society. And, you know, I had the great fortune to use as role models and role models he pointed me to and was able to spend a great amount of time and actually became friends with his mother, my grand, and my mother's mother, my other grand. Both of these women survived the four great economic challenges of the last century. The Great Depression, the privations of World War II, and the systemic racism and misogyny that unfortunately continues through and to today. And because these women helped raise me and they loved me and they shared with me stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, it is out of my great love and respect for these women as well as my dad, who are always with me, urging me on, such that when the situation is right, I am sometimes at least able to vindicate, attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and those with disabilities who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately more and more, the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that you could ever imagine that's running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your, our, everybody's money, and more importantly these days, the lack thereof, and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your family's or your small business's financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational form. However, as always, I was once again ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as as an educational form for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances, your assets, and or your debt. So today we'll continue the topic we've been discussing for the last few weeks. That is to say, how can we gain a better understanding of the current state of our economy, how it works, how we got to this point in time, and when we hopefully can move on. And most importantly, how do we prepare to survive and maybe even thrive in an economic downturn? Now, we began our discussion by looking at the generic causes of inflation and the specific facts that show that here and now, There have been disruptions in our global oil production, our global manufacturing subcomponent production, and our global food production supply chains bought on by COVID-19 and its aftermath, along with the war in Ukraine that have only increased the cost and price of gas, increased the price of finished goods, Uh, and foodstuffs, not only here in the United States, but around the world, 
to the point where some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they don't believe in Christ, in the poor nations are facing starvation. So that means those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ have to care about these folks. Then we looked at how, why, and when economists determined that a recession has or had already started in retrospect, because that's the way they determine one in retrospect, because even though most of the prognosticators don't believe we're in one right this second, the continued use of short-term interest rate hikes by the Federal Reserve Board uh, to combat inflation that the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Mr. Powell, announced yesterday on August 26, 2022, will continue. As such, we might just get pushed into a recession. And for that reason alone, the continued possibility and now maybe probability of a recession in the next several months, and more important for what I consider to be just good economic hygiene's sake, I believe we all need to have a good understanding of what a recession is or is not and the factors that play upon it. And from there, we went on a brief detour into the exciting realm of the inverted yield curve, one of my most favorite things in the world. And we launched into a discussion on what we can and must do to prepare for the next recession. Because as we now know, they, recessions, are an inevitable part of our ever-evolving, ongoing business cycles. And we need these business cycles because they throw off the funds we need to maintain ourselves and our families and our small businesses and our communities when they're on the uprise. So we need to set aside funds when it's on the uprise for when there's the inevitable downturn. So what are these things that I suggested that we need to do? Well, if we already don't have one, we need a personal and if we a business owner, a business uh, budget, we need these budgets. And I say we need them uh, for good economic hygiene, because if we don't have a roadmap showing us where our money comes from and how we use it each month when the economy is going well, we won't know what we need to do to be able to make the adjustments in our spending patterns that we will need to undertake to survive during an economic downturn. So after we have our budget and we keep it updated, we also need to have a strategy for preparing for a recession. And that includes creating a an emergency fund of no less than two months, but more reasonably, a fund that can carry us three to six months. That is to say, it has three to six months of our reasonable living expenses, so we will have a breathing spell to come up with a long-term plan once we go into a recession. We also need to be paying off our debts by starting with the most expensive high interest rate credit cards first and then work our way down until we don't have any debt at all. We also need to diversify our investments. Don't have all our money in one basket. Stocks and bonds and real estate and maybe an investment in a business. Okay? And that, you know, we also need to make sure that we create additional business streams like getting a part-time job or doing a side gig. 
And we also need to have a strategy for surviving the recession, including having a frank discussion with our entire family about our household finances so we can act as a cohesive unit when we have the downturn. We need to keep that money flowing in. We need to reduce our expenses and we need to do all that we can to find joy in life such that we won't have a recession depression and we don't want to be led around by our noses by a recession. So when we come back, we'll continue our deeper dive into what we can and must do to prepare for the next recession now. That is to say, now that we know that they are an inevitable part of the business cycle and we might just be staring one in the eyes in the next few months. But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on what we can and must do to prepare for the next recession because now we know that they, recessions, are an inevitable part of our ongoing business cycle. And we must, (laughs) we must be prepared. But first, because I've heard from many of you out there in radio land who want to know What's up with this Federal Reserve Board? And just who is this Jerome Powell and who put him in charge of my money? Now, now these are fair questions. So let's just take a peek. First, let's level set so we'll understand the difference between our country's monetary policy and its fiscal policy. Now, both of them have to do with money, but they come at money from a different perspective. Now, according to Investopedia, located at Investopedia.com, in an article written by Troy Siegel and last updated on April 27, 2021, monetary policy and fiscal policy refer to two of the most widely recognized tools used to influence a nation's economic activity. Monetary policy, on the one hand, is primarily concerned with the management of interest rates and the total supply of money in circulation and is generally carried out by central banks such as the U.S. Federal Reserve. That's what the Federal Reserve is. Central banks enact monetary policy by easing or tightening the money supply and the availability of credit. Central banks seek to help a nation's economy maintain an even kill. Central banks also set the requirements for the banking industry, such as the amount of cash reserves a bank under its control must maintain vis-a-vis its deposits. So, Okay, so banks get money from us when we deposit and the central bank makes sure that they have enough uh, reserves such that when I want my deposit and you want your deposit back, taking the deposits out won't crash the banks and just multiply that by thousands of people. Finally, a country's uh, or in the case of a collective of countries such as the European Union, its central bank 
can be a lender of last resort to troubled financial institutions and even to government. So those are the functions of a central bank. Now, fiscal policy, on the other hand, is a collective term for the taxing and spending actions of government. In the United States, the nas- our national fiscal policy is determined by the executive and legislative branches of our government. Or said another way, th- for example, through our United States tax code that is periodically updated by Congress because Congress has the taxing power and the Internal Revenue Service that is part of the Department of Treasury, that's part of the executive branch. So our tax law is created by Congress and it's implemented through the executive branch. Now, getting back to the Federal Reserve Board, Most of its decisions about the monetary supply takes place in its Federal Open Market Committee. So what's up with that? Well, you can find out more about the Federal Open Markets Committee at its website. That's the Federal Reserve's website, which is located at www.federalreserve, all one word, dot gov, forward slash monetary policy, forward slash F-O-M-C, for um, the uh, Federal Open Markets Committee. So what's up with this Federal Open Market Committee? Again, our monetary policy refers to the actions undertaken by our Federal Reserve Bank, our central bank, to influence the availability and costs of money and credit to help promote our national economic goals. The Federal Reserve Act of 1913 gave the Federal Reserve the responsibility for setting monetary policy. Now, the Federal Reserve controls three tools for monetary policy, the open market operation and its committee, the discount rate that determines how much it will make money available to the banks that feed into our economic system, and the reserve requirements that we talked about. The Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System is responsible for the discount and reserve requirements, but the Federal Open Markets Committee is responsible for the open market operations. Now, using these three tools, the Federal Reserve influences the demand for and the supply of and the balances that depository institutions hold at the Federal Reserve Bank in a way that alters the federal funds rate. So the bank of banks, the big bank of banks is the Federal Reserve. And so all of our banks that are part of this system have accounts at the Federal Reserve Bank. And how the Federal Reserve controls the money to supply, it ups the rate that they have to uh, charge that these banks have to pay to borrow money, or they reduce the amount. And it also influences how much we pay for our mortgages and our automobile loans. And so changes in the federal funds rate is a chain of events that influence and affect other short-term rates, including foreign exchange rates, long-term interest rates, the amount of money and credit, and ultimately a range of economic variables, including employment. If a business needs to borrow money to bring on more employees and the cost of money is too high, the business can't bring on more employees and so it can't output what it needs and it has to raise its prices or reduce its services. So that's how things all kind of flow together. Now, the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee is consists of 12 members, including 
Chairman Jerome Powell. And that's where he comes in. And why is he so important? Well, he's the chair of the Federal Reserve, appointed by the president for a term that's longer than the term of a president, such that he will not be interfered with and he can make decisions based on his own good judgment. But he's, uh, you know, he has to go through the, uh, the senatorial approval process. So what's up with Jerome Powell and what does he have to do with us staring down a, p- a potential recession? Well, on August the 26th, everybody was holding their breath, waiting for his speech at Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where the high mucky mucks in finance go periodically every year to talk trash to each other and make decisions that influence all of us, our ability to have a job, or to buy a home, or to buy a car. So in his speech entitled at Recessioning Constraints, no, Reassessing Constraints on the Economy and Policy, an economic policy symposium sponsored by the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City at Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, Chairman Powell gave a speech that influenced the markets yesterday. He said the Federal Open Markets Committee overarching focus right now is to bring inflation back down to our 2% goal. Price stability is the responsibility of the Federal Reserve and serves as the bedrock of our economy. Without price stability, the economy does not work for anyone. In particular, without price stability, we will not achieve a sustained period of strong labor market conditions that benefit all. The burdens of high inflation fall heaviest on those that are least able to bear them. Restoring price stability will take some time and require using our tools forcefully to bring demand and supply into better balance. Reducing inflation is likely to require sustained periods of below-trend growth. Moreover, there will likely be some softening in our labor market conditions. While higher interest rates, slower growth, and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, they will also bring some pain to households and businesses. These are the unfortunate costs of reducing inflation, but failure to restore price stability would mean even greater pain. So I'm going to put a plug in this. Okay, so normally the Fed wants inflation to be 2%, no more than 2%. Some inflation is good because it keeps markets moving forward. Our, the last time they checked in, in, here in 2020, inflation was above 8%. That's why uh, Chairman Powell thinks it needs to be brought down, and he said that that might cause pain. Okay, uh, I'm continuing on with parts of his speech. I'm not reading his whole speech. It is clearly out of balance, speaking about our labor markets, with the demand for workers substantially exceeding the supply of available workers. He goes on to say we're moving out of a policy stance purposely to a level that will significantly restrict restrict to return inflation to 2%. At our most recent meeting in July, the Federal Open Market Committee raised the target rate for federal rates funds from 2.25 to 2 from 2.25 to 2.5%. And he goes on to say that it looks like they will continue to do so based on three lessons that the Federal Reserve learned from the recession 
the high interest rate in the 1970s and 80s that some of us remember very vividly. Uh, and he goes, he concludes his remark, or I'm going to conclude a remark. He says his third lesson that he learns is which we must keep doing, reducing uh, the ability of cash flow by raising interest rates until the job is done. History shows that employment costs of bringing down inflation are likely to increase the delay as high inflation becomes more entrenched in wage and price setting. So the lesson he wants to focus on is bringing down inflation and we have to be prepared because he's concerned and he will keep possibly raising interest rates until the job is done. So we're going to leave it there for now. But as we like to say here in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay in the law, on the right side of the law, including the laws of economics and finance that keep our economies, our families, and our small business and our overall society afloat. So till next time, please take care. And I look forward to seeing you again real soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.